All that thrills my soul is Jesus. And He does thrill me. That's a love that don't ever get old, and I think that's the way it is with genuine love. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, Now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three. But the greatest of these is charity. That is that Greek word agape, which is the strongest word for love in classical Greek. And it's the strong word that God uses in this blessed old book as well. And so I'm grateful that we have God's love for us and our love for Him. This is a, this is a reciprocal thing. He don't just love us, we love Him. And I'm so very grateful. All right, we're going to turn in our Bible. I want to turn to two places. Just to kind of get us started, we're going to go back to uh, Exodus chapter 20. But first of all, I want you to look with me in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I want to read something from Ecclesiastes chapter 12 that absolutely goes together with what we have been studying in Exodus chapter 20. It kind of came to me, I really don't remember if it was yesterday or this morning, but it came to me that passage of Scripture, that verse in Exodus chapter 12. And I said I need to hook that on to that 20th chapter of of Exodus. In that 20th chapter we're preaching on because of who I am, this is what I want you to be. That's what we've been looking at in verses 1 through 17. We're going to be referred back to that somewhat as we read this evening in just a little while, verses 18 through 21. We're going to get a little bit further in the chapter. But uh, first of all, now we've read the Ten Commandments down through there. And we tried to acquaint ourselves with them. A few years ago, we went in an in-depth study of those Ten Commandments. We spent quite a few weeks in those Ten Commandments, taking each one of them uh, on their own and, and trying to go as deep into it as we possibly could. We remembered during that time that the Lord Jesus Himself preached some of those commandments in His Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5 in particular, and he expounded the Scriptures there. He told us what thou shalt not commit adultery, what adultery means. He told us what it means. And he said it's not just the physical act, but it's the mental act as well. He said don't do that. Don't occupy your mind with such filth. He said that's, uh, that's offensive to me. And this is not who I am. And this is not who I want you to be. And he told us the uh, things as well about other of, of the commandments. And so this is an ongoing message. It's not just something in Old Testament times. It's something in New Testament times. And I, might, I have to say, and I believe this is true, it's not just while Jesus was here fulfilling the Mosaic law, but it's also after he left. Because after he left... Simon Peter even left us that statement that God made, Be ye holy, for I am holy. The same thing that he said to the ancient Hebrew people, he says to his church today. And so he teaches us a little bit about holiness as we read those Ten Commandments. Because he is telling us, this is what my nature is. 
This is who I am. This is how I am. And so this is what I want you to be. I want it to be a like father, like son kind of life that you and I are to live here. We ought to imitate our heavenly Father and 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 put this on before the world. It's as if I think it was Shakespeare who said, "The world is a stage. The world is a stage." And he said something else connected to it, but I don't remember what that is. It was because I've tried my best to forget everything Shakespeare ever said. But he said, the world is a stage, and some, in some way, that's true. Because everybody's watching. Everybody's looking on. Somebody said, uh, I forget who it was, but somebody said, nobody likes to be watched, but everybody likes to be noticed. They want you to note them. They want you to, to see them and, and not live or look like you don't even see them standing there. Nobody likes that. But the truth of the matter is, everybody is being watched, especially people who are making certain statements about morality and immorality. When we say that this is the way that we ought to live, people are going to watch us and see if we live that way. And if we don't live that way, what are they going to call us? That's right, a hypocrite. And I don't want to be, I don't want to have the reputation of a hypocrite. I want to live before my neighbors, behind their backs, before my wife, behind her back, before the church, behind the church's back. I want to live the life of Christian, being Christian, being Christ-like, which is exactly what that word means. And so always when we come to such passages of Scripture as this, we should ask ourselves, how Christ-like am I? He came here and lived out every one of these perfectly. And then, and so the big question is for me, and it, 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 it means more to me than it does anybody else, including my wife, because I know that I live my life in this world under the watchful eye of God. He's always looking on. And I don't care how dark it is, he still sees me very clearly. And I don't care how much noise is going on around me, you can blow trumpets and trombones and tubas and beat drums and everything else, but he still hears what comes out of my thoughts and what comes out of my mouth. And so it's extremely important that I pay close attention to what the Bible teaches is a Christ-like nature and then seek and strive with all my heart to imitate that. This is what pleases God and this is what astounds the world. If the world knew me before I was saved, it blows them away when I tell them later on. They say, what are you doing that time? I'm preaching the Word of God. I went into a McDonald's restaurant years ago down on Commerce in LaGrange, and uh, I mean, this was years ago, and I saw somebody that I went to school with, and he was way across the uh, the building there, and he threw his hand up at me and hollered, say, Hey, Tommy, what you doing now? I said, I'm a preacher of the Word. I said, God saved me, and I'm preaching the Word of God. Oh, he said, oh, is that right? You know, he, he didn't know what else to say. It took him off. 
Uh, he, he wasn't expecting nothing like that because he knew me. He knew me in that day when I did not know God. He knew me at the time when I was an enemy of God. But I'll tell you, when God reconciled me to himself, which means he made peace for me between me and God, the Lord Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. He is the one who gave peace between God and me, brought us together, reconciled God, and made peace for us through the blood of His cross. Colossians chapter 1 tells us. And so, I am in the business of trying to find out what a Christian is and write my name down on that and do my best to live that kind of life. And I am far from perfect. And I'll admit that without my wife having to tell on me. And she could tell on me. But I am far from perfect. But I want to tell you, I know that I am not what I ought to be. But I'm telling you this, I am not what I used to be. Amen? I'm not what I used to be. And I am not what I'm going to be. When I get to heaven, I won't have a sin nature. And I will never again have to pray, Father, forgive me. Forgive me. I'll never have to pray that prayer again because I won't ever sin again. Isn't that wonderful? Praise the Lord. That's enough right there. That ought to make you want to go to heaven when you leave this world because you'll never, you will never have a sin nature again. And then, as John the Apostle John tells us in 1 John, he said... When He appears, when our Lord Jesus appears, and that's what we're waiting on, when He appears, John said, we will see Him. We will see Him, and He said, we will be like Him. Hallelujah. We will be like Him. I don't want to wait till I get to heaven to be holy. I want to be holy now. I want to be Christ-like now. I want the sweetness like you find in the person and work of Jesus Christ. How sweet and precious that He is. And I want that. Now, this is I guess this is not much of an illustration, but I'm going to say what comes to me, what God puts in my heart. But I'm a dog lover. I love dogs. I love animals. I love animals. I used to did not like cats, Sister Linda, but now I love cats. I like all kinds of animals, and I like to observe them. I like to watch them, how they behave. There's a, there's a dog down on, uh, uh, what's that, Patilla Road. There's a dog right there in that big corner, you know where it is, Randy, that corner right there that you have to slow down and go, I'll take that corner. There's a dog at one of those houses. Every time that that dog sees another car come by, I know that's what he does with me, he starts running around and around and around just like that. I mean, he's getting with it like he's chasing his tail, but he's so excited. He's a big old dog and he's going around and around like that. And God knew that I needed something to laugh at every once in a while. I needed the humor of that. And I enjoy watching animals, and I get something from them. But I said all that to say this. Uh, I, I had a little toy poodle in my lap, uh, I think it was last night. 
and I sat back with her in my lap, and I, I just kind of looked down at her, and she was laying there just like this, looking up at me with her eyes, just like that. And I'm all, I, I looked at her. You know what it did to me? My heart melted. I said, that's the sweetest thing. That's the sweetest thing. The way she was looking back at me, like she was just thinking of me and, and loving me. And, and that is sweet. And watching babies and looking at those precious babies, that's sweet. And, and looking in the eyes of your daughter or your, your son, a child, it's sweet. There are a lot of things that are sweet. But I want to tell you there's nothing as sweet as the beautiful fragrance of His nature that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And when God would have the ancient Hebrew people to worship Him, He would put those incense involved. They would offer the incense unto the Lord. And that sweet fragrance would go up to God because it is sweet smelling to the Lord. Worship in spirit and in truth offers a sweet fragrance to our great God. It's beautiful to Him. We are beautiful to Him. He looks upon us and sees the righteousness of Christ that God has imputed to His people, and He loves us. He don't have to make Himself love us. He don't have to make Himself put up with us. He don't have to make Himself because it just flows freely from the One who Himself is called love in the Bible. God is love, John the Apostle tells us. And so, all of this is beautiful. I don't have any problem with the Ten Commandments. I may have problems at times obeying them like I should. But I don't have problems looking at them and saying, I believe that's God's will for me to behave myself like that. To have no other gods before me. And to not make images, of uh, uh, graven images of other gods and bow down to worship. Oh, I think that's still very distasteful to a holy God. And to profane His name, He said, don't do it. And I, I don't want to profane the name of the Lord. I don't want to speak with blasphemy in my mouth. I don't want to, I don't want to misuse His name. I want to recognize His name as being holy. And friend, he honors his, his, his name so high, and he has multiple names, and all of them speak of his nature, the kind of God that he is, and how he relates to his people. And this is what caused the old patriarchs and saints of Hebrew time of Old Testament to live for him and, and to press on seeking Him and His will. And they learned those different names as they faced different situations. God would reveal Himself in His name to them and He'd give them a new name along the way. Then He'd give them another new name and give them another new name. And uh, and so he, what is He doing? He's revealing Himself to those people so they can get to know Him better and, and, and be, become more like Him. I want to think like God. I want to talk like God. I want to live like God. I want to be what He has called me to be. And this is what He's called all of us. He said, I've called you not to uncleanness, but to holiness. 
And that's His will for us. Now, there's a lot of things we have to pray to find out what God's will is for us. But when it's clearly stated in the Scriptures, that's God's will for us. We don't have to pray about that except for God help me to obey it. Help me to do what you've called upon me to do. And so as long as we're obeying God, we're going to be getting along good together with Him. But I'll tell you one now, I won't say like we have to say of ourselves sometimes, don't get on my bad side, because God don't have a bad side. But what God does have all around Him is goodness and greatness and holiness and purity and righteousness. And so you say, we can't reach that in this life. I know we can't reach it, but we can reach for it. We can reach for it, the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, forgetting those things that are behind. He said, and I'm reaching forth to the prize of the high calling of God. He said, I am not yet perfect, but he said, I'm reaching for that perfection. I'm reaching for that Christ-likeness. And that's exactly what you and I are supposed to be doing every single day. Not one day a week, not two days a week, but seven days a week, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, however many days are in a given month, and then uh, 365 days plus whatever's in leap year and all this kind of stuff. We ought to continually be striving to be what God's called us to be. I'd like to hear that, well done, thou good and faithful servant, wouldn't you? I'd love to hear that. I don't know that I'll hear it, but I sure would love to. Let's read a little Bible, what you say. Look at Ecclesiastes 12. Keep the commandments in mind while you read this. Look at verse 13. He's been telling, this is Solomon, the wisest man. God gave him wisdom above and beyond all others. And Solomon in verse number 1 of chapter 1, he says he's the preacher. He said, I'm going to preach to you a little bit. I'm going to herald these truths out. He said, I'm a rich man. God made me a rich man. God gave me much. I'm telling you what is, is, goes on in early Ecclesiastes. You need to know the purpose of it. He said, God my Father gave me wisdom. And from my wisdom I have written down, I have given, I have recorded a thousand and five proverbs, if I remember that right. He told how many songs, and I just saw it last night as I was reading through the book of First Kings, and I can't remember now what how many songs it was, but it was a lot of songs that he wrote as well. But a thousand five Proverbs, I can get in the book of Proverbs and I can start reading. Some of them are crystal clear. Some of them are not so clear. And some of them I can't understand why the periods and the commas and the colons and the semicolons are in there. I don't understand very much at all about it. But I keep digging into it. And I want to find out what that wise man had to say. But he's writing under inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Solomon said... In one place in chapter 1, he said, you know, he said, I'll tell you what I did. I got me some men singers and I got me some women singers. He said, what I was trying to find out is where is the fullness of life? Where is the meaning of life? What's it all about? How can I really lay hold of something that is worth being joyful about? What is it that should concern me that's really... 
not there, there's not much here. He said, I've looked at all life, every science, every phase of life, and he said, here's what I've come to. All is vain and vexation of spirit. Everything under the sun. He said, it's not a thing in the world but confusion and heartache and heartbreak every way I look. He said, I even got me some men singers and women singers. I got me a quartet. I got me a choir or whatever it was he got. He said, I thought I'd look into that and see what kind of joy that I could find there or what kind of meaning to life. He said, that didn't help me. I did this. I tried this. I tried that. I, I bought this. I looked at my gold. I looked at my silver. I looked at everything that, that uh, is in my house and everything that's across the country, and I saw nothing, everything under the sun. You keep seeing that statement in the book of Ecclesiastes, under the sun, under the sun. That is everything on planet earth, nothing but vain and vexation or torment of spirit. That's what he's saying. And so, in the last two verses of chapter 12, the last statement he made, he said, this is what I have concluded. Look at it. Verse 13, chapter 12. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, everything that I've discussed with you. Here's the conclusion. Here's the best thing to do. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. You want to know what our duty is? Fear God. Keep His commandments. Now, we know enough about the Scriptures that we understand that by keeping the commandments, number one, keeping the commandments won't save anybody. That was not God's original intent. There are really, when you come right down to it, there, there are many denominations in the world, but really there's only two religions. There is a religion that says that salvation is by the grace of God. And there is a religion that says salvation is by doing good works. And most people in the world, whether they be religious or not religious, they think the way to get to heaven is by not being so bad. They think the way to get to heaven is by keeping the commandments. Now, that's, that's number one. And, of course, that's wrong. That's false. The people who are dependent on the grace of God for them to get to heaven, they're the ones who are going to heaven. For by grace are you saved through faith. That is not of yourself. Salvation is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Because man has such a nature that if he were to be able to live without, uh, without breaking the commandments, he would break his first one when he said, I'm good enough to go to heaven. I deserve going to heaven. Anybody who is creaturely is not deserving of any good thing that God has to offer. Because creaturely, that makes us less than God. We are less than God. Anything God created is less than Himself. God alone is perfect. And God is such a holy God and a righteous God and a perfect God 
that He demands perfection on our part. He demands that we not break a single commandment any time in all of our days, but that we walk in perfect, absolute obedience. That's what God commanded Adam and Eve to do. And Adam represented us. He's our daddy. He's the father of all mankind. All of mankind came from Adam. I know you look at some of them, the way they look, the way they act, it looked like they were born of aliens. But they came from Adam. All of us came from Adam. Adam. And all of that foolishness that's in every single one of us, and all of that sinfulness, all of that came from Adam. So number one, keeping the commandments is not what saves us. Number two, nobody's ever kept the commandments. They can't do it. You cannot keep them. You say, why would God tell us to do something that we can't do? Well, the only one who could have done so was Adam because he had a free will. You and I have never had a free will until Christ set us free from our, our will, our sinful will kept us in bondage to sin. Romans chapter 7, read it for yourself. We were in bondage to sin and when we would do good, we couldn't do good, Paul said, because evil was present. Evil was in us. And, we, and, and so even our greatest attempts have not worked out most of our lives. But God will tell people to do something that He knows good and well that they can't do so that they will understand that they can't do it. And it will remind us, if we are readers of the Bible, of what Jesus said in uh, John fifteen six. But without me, ye can do nothing. Ye can do nothing. And so that's the way it is. And he's talking about when he says nothing, he don't, he, he's not looking at the zero kind of nothing, in a sense, if I can put it this way, because there are a whole lot of things that we can do. But we can't do that which is good and right and just and righteous and holy without God. Without the presence of the Holy Ghost in us. That's the reason if I resist temptation when it's thrown at me, the temptation to sin, I can never walk away from there patting my own self on the back and saying, you did a good job, son. You, you resisted and you didn't do what the devil was trying to get you to do. Good boy, smart boy. Give yourself a, a, a black mark in, 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 the, in your record book. No, that, I can't do that. I can only say when I part from that temptation, if I, if I overcame it, if I resisted it and did the will of God in spite of it, all I can say is, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It was your strength that helped me to do that. It was what you have said to me in the Word of God, and you brought that back to me and reminded me of it. And it helped me not to do what my old flesh was wanting to yield to at the moment of temptation. And so we, we know man apart. Listen, the reason Adam sinned was because he had freedom to say yes he had freedom to say no. And his will was completely free. God made him that way. When Adam and Eve was created, God did not create them to be a God. 
Again, God cannot make another God. There are some things God can't do. God can't lie. And He cannot make or create another God. He cannot do that because there's only one God. That's the only way it can be. He said, I am the Lord. Beside me there is none other. God says, I have nobody in competition with me except for the human race. They keep trying to be sovereign over me, but I'm not going to let them do it, and there's not another God. Adam was not created a God. He was created a creature. Creature means a created thing. And the Creator Himself created the creature, and Adam was created in innocence. He was innocent. But he had a will, and his will could be exercised for God or against God. Same thing was with Lucifer. He had a will, and he could either will to continue as God had created him to serve the Lord, to lead the angelic choir in heaven to be the archangel. He could continue with that, or he could rebel. And the only reason he could rebel is because God would permit him to exercise that kind of will. And there's a lot of things going on in the ultimate up there that cannot necessarily be seen in the proximate down here. There are things taking place in the spiritual realm that we cannot grasp. But the Scriptures, like Isaiah chapter 14, beginning with verse 12, tells us about Lucifer. That's the only time in the Bible the name Lucifer is mentioned. He's called other things in the Bible. But here he's called Lucifer, which means morning star, or son of the morning. And he's considered to have been... uh, a son of God. And those other angels were considered to be sons of God in that respect, not in the same respect that we are sons of God and daughters of God. But Lucifer, he said, I will exalt myself above the stars of God. I will be like the Most High. I will be positioned in the sides of the north Whatever that means, something perhaps that has to do with the location of heaven itself. Uh, As far as the earth, he says, promotion cometh not from the east or the west or the south. So evidently it must come from the north. And so maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to know these things. They are above and beyond my little peanut brain. But what little bit I can get is that Lucifer had a free will and he exercised that free will against God. Adam had a free will, he exercised that free will against God. And everybody in humanity who don't know the truth of the Holy Scriptures are crying out, I want my rights, I want my free will, I have a free will, I can do as I please. That's part of their desire for the sovereignty of God to be their own, that, that they can make their own rules and do their own thing. But God won't have it. He will not have it. That's been the issue ever since man fell into sin. Who's the boss? Jesus said, when you pray, saints of God, He said, when you pray, you say, Our Father which art in heaven, 
hallowed, holy, sacred be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. When you are a child of God, God taught us to pray, not my will, but thy will be done. Extremely important. Now, what is God's will? Thou shalt have no other gods before you. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Even take it to yourself when it, it do not belong to you. Because you lost church member. He said, don't take that name. When you take it to yourself and you're lost, you're taking it in vain. He said, don't do that. Don't claim to be something that you're not. Don't say one thing and live another. He said, that don't go good with me. And I'm always watching, he says, and he's going, I'm going to bring you into account for it. He said, number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. He said, number five, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the earth. He said, honor your parents. Show love and respect for your parents. He said, Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou, let's see, I don't remember how many of that is. But he said, he said, don't, I forget the exact way it's worded, but that ninth commandment. What is that ninth commandment? Here, I got it right here in front of me. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. That's number nine. Be an honest person. God wants His people to be honest. He said, that's what He meant when He said, Let your yea be yea, and your nay, nay. In other words, if you're speaking in the affirmative, say yea. If you're speaking opposite, nay. Yes and no. And let that be it. And let that be your word that you can stand upon. And don't be deceptive about it. Speak the truth. And, and do not claim things about somebody that you don't like or somebody done you wrong. Just so you can get even with them. These people that go around with a chip on the shoulder all the time need to get right. We're not to be looking for opportunities to get even. God don't want us to get even. He said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Leave that alone. That's for God to take care of. Or anyone that He's delegated the authority to, like He has to parents and He has to the law of the land. God delegated authority to them to punish the criminal or to punish the disobedient child. But other than that, it's not for us to try to get even. No. That's God's work. That's God's will. We're trying again. That's another way we try to elevate ourselves to the level of God. God won't have that. He won't have it. Then, of course, that final commandment, Thou shalt not covet. Fear God, he said, and keep His commandments. Before we quit, and that's what we're fixing to do, look back in chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Fear God and keep His commandments. So what do we find? We saw it before. We saw it earlier in chapter 19. We saw it as the children of Israel were preparing to come before God as 
He was on, he was coming down on Mount Sinai. And that, that cloud of God would come down. The smoke, the mountain would smoke. And there would be thunder and lightning. And the people would come close, but God said, don't you touch that mountain. Don't touch it. It's holy ground. It's holy. Moses, you come up on the mountain, but the rest of you stay put. And Moses went up there and met with God, and God gave him the Ten Commandments. Look here in verse 18 through 21. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. The word removed there, it has the same connotation as the word to tremble in the Hebrew language. They trembled. They shook in their boots or their sandals or whatever. They were afraid. You and I, I'm telling you, you and I could not begin to imagine what those people were looking at as they looked at Mount Sinai with the presence of Almighty God upon it. We would have trembled. We would have shook. It would have scared the daylights out of us. When the Apostle John turned, when, when he heard a voice of, as of a trumpet behind him on the, the Isle of Patmos, and God gave him the book of Revelation, when he heard that voice behind him, it sounded like a trumpet. He turned around and looked, and there was the Lord. And he fell at his feet as if he were dead. We don't know really what kind, uh, how, how we would respond in a frightful, terrified way if God were to make such a presence among us. And this is the way this world is going to see Him one day. As the holy God that He is, they'll stand before Him at the great white throne judgment. And I guarantee you, every individual will be trembling. They will be afraid. That's exactly right. He, Hebrews 10.31, I think it is. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. There's nothing more frightening than that. The atheist, genius, Stephen Hawkins, an atheist and considered to be a genius in the, what is it, the field of physics and the like, the sciences. And he may be genius somewhat in that, but I've already learned he certainly don't know everything about it. There's still, he's still among, or he was still among the crowd trying to find out the beginning of the universe. And even the most densest individual on planet Earth can know how the universe came into existence. Amen. Do you know that NASA, the United States of America, spends billions and billions and billions of our money, tax money, on trying to find that missing link of the cosmos and how everything 
came into being. Isn't that pitiful? That's absolutely pitiful. That money could be much better spent. Amen? They could start out by cutting our own taxes on everything else and feeding the poor and taking care of folks. That's that's best. Now, that's, that's, where the, that's where it is. Been there all these many, many years. But here's what Stephen Hawkins said. He said, I don't fear God. He said, I don't fear God. I fear His believers. That's what he said. Do you know why he says that about us? He's because in his mind, we're a bunch of lunatics. In his mind, we are fanatics. And a fanatic is liable to do anything. And of course, he and others use for his proof of that all of the religious wars that have been started back down through history. Religious wars, and there have been many religious wars started. But I think that we can also understand our Lord Jesus Christ did not teach that we were to go out and start wars with everybody. He told Pilate, Pilate said, I want to know if you are a threat to Caesar. I want to know, they, they come in here and tell me that you say you're a king. And so I want to know, are you a threat to the throne of the empire of Rome? Jesus said, I am a king. But he said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not of this world. He said, the Lord Jesus Christ said, for this cause was I born. I came into this world to let them know the truth. The truth. This world's not going to stand like it presently is, Pilate. It's not going to stand. Rome is not going to be in control in the finality of it all. Egypt was not. Babylon was not. Assyria was not. And all of the others who ruled back in those days. And then the Greeks were not. Alexander the Great comes along. And I believe he's even mentioned in the book of Daniel. He came along and he's, and he, he, they claimed while he was a young man and they beat everybody around him that he sat down and wept because he had no more walls to conquer. He was a bloodthirsty man and he was a drunkard and my understanding is he was also a sodomite. And the Greeks loved to get the Sodomites involved in the battles because they had put their lovers out there of those men and their, and their lover. They'll all get out there and they'll fight hard to protect their lover. That was their thinking, their military strategy. And so uh, our great God is finally and ultimately... Daniel says it's going to be like a big grinding stone that's going to come rolling down off the mountain. And it's going to roll over the Gentile world dominion and crush them. All the pagan nations of the world will be crushed by our Lord who's, as it were, cut out of the mountain. He speaks metaphorically there. And our Lord's going to bring it all. He's going to bring, he's going to shut down the Gentile empire. And the only ones that's going to be left when he's done is going to be his people. 
gathered together with him. People who are faithful, who are loyal, who show that they are dedicated to him, that he died for them, and if it becomes necessary, we will die for him and for the cause of Christ. The cause of Christ. And so, what does he say here? He said, these people, they're afraid. Verse 19, they said to Moses, speak with us, you speak with us, and we'll listen. But please, we don't want God to speak to us, lest we die. They're afraid that it'll kill them for God. They don't want to see God. They've seen the uh, uh, seen God in a metaphorical sense, in an illustrative sense, in a theophany, the scholars call him, as he comes down on that mountain. But they didn't see him in his full glory and majesty. They couldn't have took it. But they saw enough that it caused them to tremble. Caused them to tremble. And they were afraid. Verse 20 said, Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, to test you. And that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. Now evidently that tells me there's two kinds of fear. Because he said, fear not. And then he said, he's come for you to, for there to be fear before your faces. You, you, you ought to be afraid. But he said, fear not. So what he is saying is, be not afraid. God's not going to kill you. He's not here to kill you. He's here to instruct you. God has come Himself. He didn't send an angelic being. He came Himself. They are His messengers. And that's what the Greek word angelos means, or an angel. It means a messenger. But He didn't send somebody. He came Himself. And He said, Moses, this is who I am. And so this is what I want my people to be. And I want you, I'm going to write this with my finger on stone. Put four commandments on one tablet and uh, the other six on the other tablet. The four commandments are their concerns their man's relationship with God, and the six commandments concerns man's relationship with one another. I want man to love me with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then I want mankind to love one another as they love their own self. And so this is why God gave these things to show who He is and what He wants of His people. He knew they wouldn't do it. He knew they couldn't keep it. So he had a substitute ready to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he would come a couple of thousand years later, and he would all, he would live the life that God wanted to live. And that perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ would then be charged to my account and to your account. And my sin and your sin would be charged to Jesus' account. So he died in our place. He suffered the consequences of our sin. He was without sin. He suffered the consequences of our sins. And he paid our sin debt. And by his stripes we are healed. There's another kind of fear of God. I'll give you this. You won't take me but just a minute and I'll quit. But I, believe it or not, I'll leave out a whole lot more than I put in. And I know it seems like sometimes I'm never going to get through. We need to make some very important distinctions about the biblical meaning of the fear of God. I think these distinctions can be helpful. When Martin Luther struggled with this, he made this distinction which has become 
known in every generation since him. And it makes perfect sense. He distinguished between what he called the servile fear of God and the filial fear of God. F-I-L-I-A-L. F-I-L-I-A-L. Servile, S-E-R-V-I-L-E. Now, the filial fear of God means of, relating to, or befitting a son or a daughter. As a son or a daughter would fear their dad. They fear their dad out of their love and respect for their dad. I'm talking about if the fear is right and if the relationship is right. They will love their daddy enough that they don't want to hurt him by doing that which is would be against his will. If he said, I don't want you to do that, I don't want you to go there, they live under his roof and so and and they truly love him. And so it's not just a matter of I don't want to be whipped, I don't want to be punished. It is, I don't want to hurt my dad. I don't want to hurt my mother. It's a, a filial, filial fear. It, it's a family fear of hurting somebody you love. The servile feel is different. It's the kind of fear of relating to or befitting a slave. A relation of a slave to his master. Or his owner. He don't love his master or owner more than likely, or, or I would say commonly, like he was part of the family because he's not treated like part of the family. Maybe he lives separate from that house, out in the house behind the back or whatever. And he does what he does out of fear of what that master may do to him, especially in days gone by, or even today in other countries. Or he may take a whip to him. The master may take a whip to him. He may chain him. He may stick a hot object to him, a torch or something, and burn him deliberately. A lot of things that the master could do to the servant. In days gone by here and in other places around the world to this very day. And so you see the difference in the kind of fear we're talking about? God wants us to fear Him. Yes, we do fear what God can do to us if we're disobedient. We know that God will take a strong hand with us. And and He will do whatever's necessary because He is determined to make Christians of us. And so, yes, he will, he will certainly punish us. He promised us that He would. As many as I love, I chasten and rebuke. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. That's what God says to us. But again, and this is like a parrot, I know, but again, I'm talking about Thou shalt not, because thou shalt do thyself no harm. If you do what I tell you not to do, it's harmful to you. Sin will destroy you, and I just don't want that to happen to you. 
And so that's the reason. All of these, these are restraints that God puts on us. Rules should be looked at as restraints, necessary restraints, to keep us from getting ourselves in trouble. Let's be honest. The trouble that we have had to experience down through the years, a lot of it, most of it, we brought it on our own self. And I just had to tell somebody that recently. That person was blaming God for all of their troubles. I said, God's not the one that made the bad choices. You are. I said, you made the choice. That's the reason you're in the shape you're in. I said, don't blame that on God. God is good. He wants what's best for all of us. But we're too self-centered and too determined to have our own way. I said, you make your choices. And your problem with your life today is you've made the wrong choices. That's the way you've got to talk to people. You can't baby them. You've got to tell them like it is. God expects us to do that. That's the reason we can't get in the pulpit and soft soap and, and like we're spraying perfume all over the place. We've got to see these truths. And so God wants us to fear Him in this way, that we love Him too much to disobey Him. That's why He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Do what I've told you to do. It's as simple as that. And I've got several paragraphs on that, but I'm quitting. These are grand truths. I thank God for those Ten Commandments, and I thank God for every other commandment we read in the Scriptures that applies to us. And I want to walk in them. I want to obey them. I know I won't always do so, but I'm glad He's given me the gift to repent. And so I can repent of it. Get right with God and do what Jesus said. Go and sin no more. Don't Keep doing it. Don't do it anymore. And so that's what we want to do. Thank you, Father, for the Word. Please seal it in our hearts. We're very grateful for Your love and mercy. And, Father, that You would call upon us. And, Lord, just to think that it's in Your will that we be like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a glorious decree that You have made. And it's a glorious promise, and we look forward to that time. In the meantime, help us to run as fast as we can from temptation to sin. Help us to, to flee, Lord, to flee idolatry and to flee adultery and to flee everything else that is offensive to you. To run, Lord, like our life depends on it, because it certainly does. And may you be glorified in your people. We've got a little time left in this world. Help us to live it right. For Jesus' sake and His name, amen. Amen.